Welcome to the first episode of the Real Estate Life Podcast, where we create a life of passive income through real estate and doing what we love. In this episode, we have Lewis Becker. He's a full-time multifamily investor who came from Venezuela in 2015. Lewis owns over 200 apartments in Florida. Today, he shares his experience in real estate, plus some great tips on how to achieve financial freedom through multifamily housing. All this and much more up next. Real estate investing is changing, but there are people evolving and thriving. In this podcast, we'll listen to their stories and hopefully learn from them. I am dedicated to creating a life where I can create multiple passive income and doing something I love along the way. To me, the most important part is doing significant work and create great relationships along the way. For those that want to invest in passive income multifamilies, email me at abio.com. My name is Abel Ballesteros. I am a real estate investor and entrepreneur, and I want to help you live the real estate life. Welcome to the Real Estate Life Podcast. Welcome to the Real Estate Life Podcast. So today we have on the show Louis Becker, he's a full-time multifamily investor, owns over 200 apartments in Florida, uh, owns uh, 52 units with me in Miami, also has a nice chunk of properties in Gainesville. He is a good friend, partner, and uh, I want to introduce you, Louis. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Abel. Thank you for right. having me. Good, man. So, Louis, uh, I, I just want the listeners to have a quick, uh, quick summary of who you are and, uh, and how you came to this country. I know that you came from Venezuela in 2015. You were getting away from a uh, communism regime. And in that process, we want to hear your story and how you got into real estate and what was your first real estate experience? Okay, so actually my, my experience in real estate comes from before. Actually, my country, I have always loved and I have read and, and, and I believe really that my father always told me and my grandfather, all of them said that the best way to preserve capital always is having a real estate asset a real active that you can pass on to your children and to your family. And if you get passive income out of it, much better. So I came with that idea from before. I remember doing my first deal back in Venezuela. Uh, and it was an interesting deal because I turned a warehouse into a medical facility. So I got a warehouse from, from a very good price, an amazing price. And, and I turned that and converted it into a medical facility. So the value was much higher. And I actually didn't have like the fixed concept in my mind before. Like I hadn't studied that, but it was just instinct and thinking what we could do with that. Once I came to the United States, uh, we started flipping houses like many people do, right? But uh, I realized that that business was, get, was getting a little crowded. I don't know if you remember, because it started to do very well in around 20, 20 I don't know, 2010, 2009, just after the crisis. And then people started investing and doing flipping and it got a little crowded. So the, the profit margin was getting smaller and smaller every time. So I was reading books about real estate investment. I was studying. I was going to conference. I was reading a lot. I have always read a lot. And I remember, and this is funny because I think that people have read this book like a thousand times and, and everybody knows about it. But it's the Rich Dad book, right? So it was. Yeah, Rich Dad Poor Dad. Yeah, yeah it's like a, a like, almost like a cliche because everyone has read that book. But uh, 
I remember he saying that, I mean, he explained the concept of passive income. So you turn your active income, whatever you do, I mean, you can be a doctor, you can be a, I mean, whatever you, ha you have as an active income, you convert that into passive income and that's where you get your expenses paid from. So that concept stuck to my mind and, and I actually thought, okay, this is the way to do it. Okay, so how do I do it? And how do Americans do it? Because you know that when you come from another country, you always try to do things that you were doing back in your country. You try to adapt what you know and what you knew from before to this new country. But I knew that I had to do it the way that people have been doing this in the United States for, I don't know, about 100 years before. So, so you, you, did not, you did not have any multifamilies in Venezuela? I, that figure doesn't exist in Venezuela, basically. I mean, you can always have apartments or condos for rent in my country. You can always have, I know, warehouses, whatever. But, I mean, it is not common to find someone who owns an, a complete, an entire building, you know? And when they do is because they own every single condo. So the way that they do it here, that you can have a multifamily, a hundred units, and it's only a single document, a single proprietary document, that doesn't happen in Venezuela. You can have, you, you have to have a hundred different documents, right? Got it, got it. No, and, and, and from what I understand, the, the eviction process over there is a nightmare compared to how, no, how it is. Here. You wouldn't be able to do it. And, and multifamily and rental community is something that doesn't happen. I mean, I, I don't know if in Europe it happens, but it is not common. So I had first to understand how to do it. And then there came the meet, I mean, about financing. Me being, I'm a German Venezuelan, so I didn't know if I could get a, a loan here to get the property because I, I wasn't a resident back then. So, well, as you know, we started investing with you in a small multifamily that we had 16 units in, in Cape Coral. And then we took it from there, 18. Then we started buying for, by, by ourselves in Tampa, 48 and 17 somewhere else. Then we came back to Miami and our units in Little Havana. You know, it's interesting that that Cape Coral deal that we did together was also my first deal out of Miami. Uh, <laughs> Cape Coral is, uh, it's, it's like a three hour, two and a half hour drive from where we're at. And I remember we were introduced by a mutual friend um, and it was the deal size was was small, but there were 16, you know, there were townhouses. So I've, I've always done well with townhouses. Uh, and we, we we did this deal off LoopNet, which is uh, it was a deal that mostly people would say you won't get a good deal if you buy this on a deal that's online and everyone is seeing. But I, I have actually I actually. Don't agree with that. I, I think that sometimes, you know, if you do volume and you send out a lot of offers, you're going to get a motivated seller that at some point is just fed up and it just wants to sell. And that's what we did on that on that 16 unit deal that we did. And um, that was actually my first and your first uh, Fannie Mae deal, right? After we, we stabilized yeah, it, we refinanced it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So it, it was... Um, it was a process. It wasn't, it wasn't too easy to get that loan. I remember we went through a lot of hurdles uh, to get it because we didn't have any multifamily Fannie Mae experience. It was our first loan with them. Yeah, it's a lot of paperwork. It was a lot of paperwork. So on, on that deal, I'll just explain it to the listeners. On that deal, uh, we got it to 90% stabilized. We refinanced, we refinanced it. 
we took out our, we took out our hard money loan that we had. That was a high rate. I think it was like 9% back then. Um, and then once we, we refinanced the property, I think a couple months later, we started, uh, we sold the property. Uh, it wasn't, it, it wasn't on the market for too long. We got rid of it pretty quick. We did really good on that, on that flip. Actually. Uh, it was an assignment of mortgage. We bought it, fixed it, refinanced it. We sold it with the assignable mortgage that Fannie Mae has, which is a great product. I, I always say, if you're going to refinance a multifamily to use Fannie or Freddie Mac, uh, because of that assignable, uh, mortgage, it's golden. Um, it's, it's an easy way to exit there. There's buyers always looking for that type of product. Lewis, now, how did you raise money on your first deal? I never asked you, was that your money or you raised it? Because uh, I know you were the one that put all the capital on that deal. Yeah, no, usually when we started, uh, that was the profits from doing the flips and, and, and the money from the flips. It was actually our own money. We set up this small family company. It wasn't much, but that was like the seed that got us started. So we invested that into Cape Coral. Then we took the profit from Cape Coral and we reinvested in someone else, in something else. So it has been like that, mainly our own funds. And it's like, like the old friends and family. For the recent deal that we did in Gainesville, which is a much bigger deal, we started sourcing to, let's say, people who know someone we know, like friends and family from someone that we know. And we got and or investors, but they so, are all. So, so let me just, let me just go back to that Gainesville deal. Your Gainesville deal. How many units is that deal? It's 144. 144 units in Gainesville. And tell me specifically, what is it that attracted you to that deal and that sub market? You know, I know Gainesville very well. It's a college town, but it's also a very fast growing city and has, has a strong economy as in Florida. But tell me, what is it attracted to that deal? Did, how did it land in your lap and why, why you, well, you decided that's to take an, that deal on? That's an interesting story too, because, uh, and, and it's actually what I want to share with people is because you keep having conversations with, when, once you're starting real estate and, and you get to know people that maybe right now you are not going to do any deal with, but you have to keep them in mind because in the future, something can come out of it. Because... Actually, about the same time when we were doing the 16 units in King Coral, so we were just starting, I met a guy through a friend of mine who owned this apartment building in Gainesville. It was 144 units, and he had had it for six or seven years, and he had only been twice to the property. And I remember that he said to me, I haven't gotten even a beer out of this property. So the property hadn't paid him nothing. I mean, he was like, my God, we don't make money with this. How, how, why are you planning to do this? I have that property, I don't know, just to park my money. And I was like, mm, that's interesting. And, and I said to myself, okay, one day I'm going to reach out to this guy and buy his property. But we were too small back then. I mean, we were doing 16 units. So me thinking that we were going to do 144 units, it was a little crazy. Yeah, and isn't ambitious. that crazy? Yeah. yeah. And ambitious back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that happened, I don't know, four or five years ago. Then when we started flipping, buying and flipping, we will only keep the multifamily for a year, buying, flipping, rehabbing, yeah. because what we do is, is what, you, what you do yourself, identifying a value. And actually, I think that what you said about LoopNet is very true because you can find a deal 
in LoopNet or any or MLS, whatever, that has been sitting there, but all people hasn't seen the value that you think that you can get out of it because you have to identify things that in your opinion will work. So what worked for you may not work for someone else who is maybe not that hands-on, you know? So every deal, you have to see it from your own perspective and what, what, you, what you can do with that deal, you know? So that happened three, four years ago. And then when I was about to sell the 48 units that we had in Tampa, I remember this guy and I had his phone number. I was like, oh my God, this guy, he looks like someone who would want to sell off market. He doesn't want to, I mean, he doesn't want to keep the property. He wouldn't ask a price too high. So I reach out to the guy. Like I told you, we have to keep the contacts and remember who you talk to, even if you can write them down in an Excel spreadsheet. Okay, this guy owns this or whatever. So I called the guy, hey, how are you? How have you been? How are you doing with your property? And he said the same, man, that doesn't make any money. And I saw, and I go, okay, I can buy it from you. And he was okay, blah, blah, blah. And we started having the conversation going. It was a six months negotiation. We didn't have any broker in the middle. So six months was, negotiation was the negotiate six months of being on the contract or just talking yeah. to him? No, talking to him because wow. he had our partners. Ah, yeah. So I basically threw a, a, a let's say a, a low ball in that moment, and we and we and we were going back and forth with the price, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. But he ha he didn't have the property on on the market, so it was good. The interesting part about this property and what actually got me thinking about it, about it is because I went to visit the property with my partner, Gerardo, who is a general contractor, and we were able to identify that similar properties were going through a rehab process in the market. So you can see that older properties, these properties are 1980s, they were going through a lot of changes. And this property was sitting in the past. He hadn't invested money, only maintenance, not capex. So the property looked very dated, you know? So we took the, we took the principal names that we could find in similar properties, let's say eight to 10 comps. And we actually went visiting every single one of them pretending to be a tenant, a possible tenant. So we will go into the unit, we will see what they had, what kind of flooring, what kind of ceiling, what kind of paint, what kind of kitchen, and we, what kind of amenities. And we will try to identify something that was common and people were paying for, but this property didn't have. Louis, when, when you walked these properties and you looked at your competition, because that's what you're kind of, you're looking to see who are your competitors in the market. Yeah, yeah. How much of a difference of bump up in rent and was those those competitors to yours? And, and you could tell me like 100 or 200 or 300 or 400 dollars. How much of a difference was compared to what they were renting at? Well, back then it was 200 dollars. Okay. But so 200, it's 100. How many, how many units? 144. So 200 dollars bump up rents out of 144 units. That's a lot of money. Yeah, and, 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 and let me explain you this. That was only by taking the rent up to market. But after that, we saw that they were going through extended renovations in some of them. They were putting granite countertops, stainless steel appliances, and those were rented for even more. 
So with those units that we call them rental units, we can get $300, $350 more than what we got the property. That's huge. That's it huge. is huge. Yeah. It is crazy. That's huge. And it was not only that. Uh, the property came with a parcel of land of 10.5 acres of, of developable land. That's the kicker. And that's the kicker. And that was yeah. like, like, the, like they call the cherry on top, right? When you saw that land in the back, what, 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 did, what did the seller, because what did the seller tell you about that land? Uh, and and you, when you were trying to figure out like, what can I do with that piece of land? Uh, what, what was the comments or what is it? Be, did you know immediately, oh my God, I could do something there? Or you were like, uh, skeptical. I, I mean, back then, I was a little skeptical because I wasn't planning on being a developer back then. But I mean, and remember, there were still plenty of opportunities. I mean, sitting with multifamilies, it was a little easier right now, before than right now, finding a multifamily. So you thought, okay, we can do something with the land later. But by seeing the unit mix that we had in the property, we were only one once. I thought, okay, this is the possible way for me to get a different unit mix. And then I started thinking, thinking about it. And yeah, we are now in the process of developing that land. I've seen this land. It's, 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 it's a, how many acres? 10.5. So it's 10.5 acres completely covered in, in, in large, massive trees. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, it sits right behind your, uh, your multifamily. So you already got the plans approved to the build out how many units? 257. 257. That's huge. So you got, you just, you just got this 10.5 acres. You're identified that you're going to do 257 units in the back. That's pretty awesome. But before you got to that, once increased the rents on your other unit, you also refinance with Fannie or Freddie Mac, right? Is that what you did? We have a Fannie. We have a Fannie Mae loan. We actually got the Fannie Mae loan from the start. But what we could do with Fannie is that you can always get a supplemental loan with them. So let's say that you bump the rent. And you go back to them and you say, okay, we are renting now for $200 more each unit. Okay. They take the NOI and they give you more money. So after you closed, how many months into the deal, after you bumped, how, first, how many months into the deal did you do this supplemental uh, refinance with? It, with it was 14 months. 14 months. How many units did you remodel uh, when you started? Mm, 30. 30? Yeah, 30 completely. But completely. yeah, I, I, I wanted to say the main thing that we identified with when we got the property and the main value add that we thought that we, we didn't have and all our property had was a washer and dryer inside of every unit. So, while so that, we, that was one of the key elements that you did to increase your rents. You put washer and dryers in the units. Washer and dryers. Of course, you, you cannot do only washer and dryers because they won't see the big difference. We wanted to give the property a fresh look. So we also painted and, and all of that. But yeah, that was like the main selling point for the new tenants. So this is one of the components that I love about multifamily. So now, now you, you're, you're, refin you're, you're refinancing, getting your equity out. Uh, so now you're putting money back in your pocket. And now you are investing in a piece of land in the back where you're going to turn into multifamily. And from what I understand, you're putting this through a HUD program which oh, yeah. is 
it's pretty amazing. And when you explain it to me, how this HUD program works, it's not easy to get because I know you're still going through the process, but kind of give us a quick summary and a breakdown of what you're going through and how much money you're going to need by using this HUD program to build out this multifamily complex. Cause it's, it's pretty amazing uh, when you pull this off. Okay. So, so the HUD program is a government program that was created to incentivize housing Workforce housing and affordable housing. In our case, it's workforce. I would say that is sitting pretty much in the middle. But uh, yeah, it's an extensive process with them. And the, and the main reason that it's so tough is because the conditions that they give are very good for you. So they give the lowest rate available. And what they do is they give you the, the construction loan, but it is a 40-year construction loan with a very low rate. So you get maybe less than 3% interest rate and it is fixed for 40 years. Imagine that. Wow, that's amazing. It is crazy. It that's is amazing. Great condition, but it takes about 10 to 12 months to get. So you have to assemble the team first. Once you're going through a development, you have to put together the team. That's For me, that's the most important thing that you have to put together a very solid team, meaning architects, consultants, GC, the superintendent, of course, the, the finance team. So you, a property manager, because they want to see that you have a, a strong property management company. So it's a huge team that you assemble before going to HUD because they say, I mean, they have an initial concept meeting with you with, with all the team present. That, so you have to have every member of the team that are going to be involved in the project. And they make like a like in university, when you present a project or a, or a thesis, so you have to explain everything, right? One of the hurdles I know that when you're going through a program like this is, all right, they, they say, Louis, where's your development experience? You haven't built any multifamilies. How are you getting past that hurdle? Because that's, that's a big challenge right there. Okay, itself. so the way, the way that we are working around that is by getting teams or, or, or teams of people that have had plenty of experience. So they have worked with them before. In one of the most recent deals that they've done in Gainesville, I am using the same architects, the same DC. Smart. So, yeah. so the way they see it is, okay, maybe this team doesn't have as a developer the experience necessary, but they have the team to pull it off, right? Yeah. yeah. So one of the great things about this program is that they give you 85% of the funds that you need. That's amazing. It is amazing, That's yeah. That's amazing. And the remaining 15%, you can put your land as part of that. So you, so you end up not needing actually much money. So that, so, so you're, so the 10.5 acres, what they, correct me if I'm wrong, but so I can understand. So the 10.5 acres that, that this property is going to be built, built has a value. And that yeah. value that, that, that 10.5 acres has is included in the 15%. It so is. you don't have to raise the whole 15% because you're including that value. So you raise, so your raise is less. Maybe 5%. That is, that's, that's incredible. That is incredible. How'd you learn about all this? Did you educate yourself on this? Did you uh, get, uh, <laughs> like, you know, the, 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 the process and what you're going through, I, I just can't believe how challenging that is. But how, what, how have you been educating yourself on this process? Well, the same way that... Uh that I did when we got into multifamily, reading and reading and reaching out to people who have done it before. 
And, and I wanted to share this toward people who are looking to invest. I mean, if someone else has done it before, you can, you can also do it. You just have to go through the process. This is a country where, I mean, pretty much everything has been done before. So if it has been done, you have to follow the steps. I mean, you have to read about it. You have to think, and okay, how can I do this? Who I have to contact? Who do I have to contact? And, and you just go, you follow the path, you know? Lots of networking. Yeah, correct, correct. Yeah, I'm, I'm a true believer. Path. Everything that you said, I, in fact, one of the reasons why I started this podcast was because mo- a lot of the knowledge and a lot of the stuff that I've learned has been from experts in the business doing what me and you are doing right now, putting you know their deals out there, their information out there, um, listening to podcasts, reading books. I mean, it's it's amazing what things are going. That you can find the smartest and the best people in their industry are just putting all their data and all their information and all their secrets on online, and you can just learn from them and grab every bits and pieces from them. Um, that that's pretty that's pretty amazing. I agree yeah. with you on that. This this country is 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 a great country where you could, if you really want to do something, you could do it. There's no really no excuse. Yeah. Um, go ahead. No, no, it's very rewarding to share yeah. because, I mean, this is not a business that you have to be greedy about because there are so many opportunities, properties, land to develop. So you actually sharing, you do more. You can grow your business out of that. Now, Louis, uh, this is a tough question. And it's uh, so what would you share would be your biggest failures or, or and, and also what did you learn from it? Um, I know what my biggest failures were and, and, you know, some of my biggest failures was over, over leveraging or, or just, or just buying properties overly leveraged uh, and thinking that uh, it was, uh, that I was going to sell quick. That happened to me in the single family sector, bought tons of properties and it and just was doing a hundred percent and overly leveraging myself. And I look back at it. I'm like, wow, that's pretty wild. I would probably not ever do that again. But um, what, what would you say, what advice do you give from your failures and what you learn from them? Yeah, I would say that being overly enthusiastic in, in three things, right? Like you were saying, financing, you have to be very careful about financing and, and every deal, you have to look and, and see what your projections are. Because, I mean, you were saying about Fannie Mae, and that's also, that's, that's true. I mean, probably Fannie Mae is one of, one of the best ways to get a property but then you have to be careful with the prepayment penalty because it has happened to me in the past that, okay, I am sitting with an amazing loan, but for any reason I want to sell and the prepayment penalty is too high and there comes a buyer that doesn't want it. So, so you have to evaluate every deal because Fannie Mae can be great for one deal and maybe cannot be that great for if you want to flip and sell, right? Correct. So it, it goes the other way around too. You say, okay, no, I'm going to flip this very quick. I'm going to get a hard money loan, but then you don't sell it. And then you are caught in a position where you are paying high interest rate and, and, and it is tough. So you have to be very careful with financing. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. I, I, hard money loans are, are a double-edged sword and, and they're great. But, but one advice I would give to everyone, if you're doing a hard money loan, definitely do not do a one-year fixed hard money no. loan. That is a nightmare waiting to happen. Try to get us, uh, you know, at least 18 months or more in your hard money loans or you get yourself in trouble. I do believe there's going to be a wave of hard money loan foreclosures coming up maybe to the end of the fourth quarter of this year. 
um, from that. A lot of balloons are coming in. A lot of hard money loans ballooning, you know, uh, and that's going to be a big issue coming up. Now, Louis, another, thing, um, another thing I would say is being overly enthusiastic with the capex because, and, and it has happened to you and me in the yeah. in the past. We have got properties that are, let's say, older, more than 50, 60 years. And then in those properties, you have to be very careful about plumbing because if you find cast iron, it's going to be expensive. And this is something that you need to have professionals in the due diligence period. Due diligence for me is everything. So you have to be very careful thinking about plumbing, roofing, uh, electrical, especially because it's going to be a big capex that you are going to be facing in the future if you are buying older property. And the third thing I would suggest is because it's partners, partnerships that you, like they say that partnerships are like a marriage. So you can find someone that you are, I mean, it could be a very nice person, a good friend of you, family member also, but you have to make sure that you are aligned with them and what you want in, for the property and what your goals are. Because maybe some people want to keep a property for only a year, but you want to see it hold for, I don't know, five to seven years. You want to keep it. So. Yeah. So you have to be aligned in your goals. That's yeah, also I, important. I, I, I'll go back to those two topics on what you talked about. And, and I agree with you on the plumbing. There's a, I could have saved a lot of tons of money if I would have done something very simple and just stuck a camera in our plumbing system. <laughs> I mean, you had talked about that. In yeah. fact, I, I, I purchased my own camera system after my experiences that I've had with plumbing and cast iron and uh, I don't know how it is in other states, but cast iron here in Florida is a major issue. Uh, and a simple inspection of your, your plumbing and your camera system will save you thousands of dollars. <laughs> so, you know, uh, I agree with you 100%. I give that advice every day to all my friends and family investors. Did you check the plumbing? Did you stick a camera? I'm traumatized with it. So I, I, I remember that. And going back to your partners and alignments, yes, 100%. Um, your partners need to be aligned with the vision. Sometimes um, verbal uh, uh, conversations and, and verbal uh, uh, handshakes are just sometimes sad, but not good enough uh, in our in partnerships. I always suggest that, you know, that the terms of the vision and the terms of, of a deal should be in writing. Operating and, agreement, yeah. Yeah, even, even between friends and family, it should be in writing. Uh, a lot of things could happen. Um, what we're seeing now, we're, we're buying distressed multifamilies. And what I've seen is a lot of uh, distressed multifamilies that were just purchased in 2019 and, and purchased uh, before COVID. And it happens to a lot of syndicators where they would buy properties with friends and family. Friends and families tell them, yeah, I'm going to commit to a certain amount of CapEx. They're putting in the CapEx little by little and COVID hit. Hmm. Now, the friends and family have their own issues. They got their own problems. They got their own businesses aside. And now they can't provide you the CapEx. Now they can't provide you the money for you to execute your deal. That's a nightmare. Uh, it's, it's a nightmare for a lot of investors. So, yeah, I agree with you. Being aligned uh, with your partners, having it in writing. If you could get that CapEx money up front and escrowed, that will be better. your best bet. That'll be your safest bet. Much better, yeah. Now, Lewis, um, it's a very broad question, but uh, it's a question that everyone wants to know. And what is financial freedom mean to you? 
Well, that's actually a, a very interesting question because when you think about motivations, I mean, what's the main motivation for, I mean, you, me, everyone doing this is, I, I think most people will, will answer that financial freedom. So um, I would say that financial freedom is that whenever you decide for any reason to stop working, the assets that you already have can cover your lifetime. Whatever that is, I mean, you, you cannot, yeah. yeah, you cannot put a number to it because what works for you could be different than me and yeah. anyone else. So yeah. you, I mean, it could be very little for someone else, but it could be a lot of money for someone who has a, a very expensive lifetime. But that's freedom. I mean, some people think that they have financial freedom or they are rich, but they cannot go by 12 months without working, let's say. So whenever you reach the point where your assets give you enough passive income to stop working completely, that's financial freedom. <laughs> yeah, that's a dream. I agree, man. Yeah, and definitely um, if there's one tool to get to that is uh, I strongly believe multifamilies is, is the way to, to get there. Uh, it is. Yeah, 100%. Louis, uh, on your Gainesville deal, I know that you're still raising money on that deal. How can listeners reach out to you about this investment uh, and talk to you and get more information about that? Uh, how can they reach you? Well, they can always reach me through my webpage. Uh, we have, uh, I mean, if you can write it down, it's murbeckinvestment.com. Um, I also, where you can have the oral contact information there. My two partners, we are a, a small company, close knit. You can have my, my phone number there, my email. So yeah, pretty okay. much every, all the information is there. My okay. Louis, uh, this was great, man. Thank you for sharing all that information with us. It's very inspiring to see you growing. And, um, you, and I appreciate your time, brother. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, my friend. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Life Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to reach out to me, please go to my website, www.abiaballesteros.com.